Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. You like math class as a kid? I want to throw up a couple symbols um, here this morning to, to talk about math. And if you don't like math, I'm sorry, um, but it's good for us. It's actually practical in some way, sort of. Okay, here, here's the first one. What is this symbol? Yeah, greater than. This is like four is greater than two, or dogs are greater than cats. It's mathematical uh, equation, right? So and there's also another one that's a little bit like it. This symbol is what? It's greater or equal to. So like four is greater or equal to eight halves, right? Wait, wait. Is he right? Yes. Okay. Um, Or you could say three quarters is greater or equal to five eighths. Right? You wouldn't have to use the equal to there, but you could. And it would still mean the the whole deal. Um, We are starting a series this morning that we're calling Greater Than. And it's going to be a walk through the book of Colossians. I'm really excited to be able to dig into Colossians Paul, Paul wrote Colossians from prison, and so much of Colossians talks about how Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater than any other god or any other idol that we could worship, we could bow down to. Jesus is greater than any philosophy that the world can come up with that have really smart people thinking really smart thoughts. And Jesus is greater than the best of our human thinking. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than empty religion, than just going to church and going through the motions. And Jesus is greater than that because he he fills life. Jesus is greater than uh, the the life that Jesus offers is greater than the life that we could come up with on our own. The position that Jesus gives us is greater than any position we could build for ourselves or any identity that we could create for ourselves. The one that Jesus gives us is greater than that. The lifestyle that he leads us into is greater than any lifestyle that we could live without him. And the mission that he gives us is greater than any good work that we could strive to do on our own. Jesus is greater than. And all throughout the pages of Colossians, which is just four chapters, but is dense, like thick, when you get in and start reading it, Colossians is deep stuff. And it's Jesus is greater than. So we're going to talk math through this whole series, okay? Every problem has its solution in Jesus. And that is not just some kind of cliche bumper sticker kind of deal. Whatever you are struggling with, whatever we are struggling with, the answer is found in a greater application of Jesus. In finding Jesus in greater ways, digging into him, into the depths of who he is and what he offers. No matter what you're going through, no matter what we're going through, and no matter what the world is going through, Jesus offers healing to that brokenness. So I want to give you a little bit of background as we start, as we jump into this book. 
Paul, I said, wrote a lot of the New Testament. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people, or some people, think that Paul can be a jerk. Paul just kind of says it how it is. And Paul, what I love about Paul is that Paul is able to have a certain confidence in who he is and who Christ called him to be and the mission that he sent him on, that he doesn't really care about self-regard. That he's willing to be, he's willing to be ridiculed, he's willing to be mocked, he's willing to be imprisoned. He, like, he doesn't care about himself. He just wants, he just wants Jesus. And he wants to talk about Jesus to people. So Paul's in prison, and word has reached him from this guy named Epaphras uh, about the church in Colossae, the church at Colossae. And Paul greets them. Um, they say, I know you're here. We haven't ever met, but we have this mutual friend in Epaphras. And he's told me some of the stuff that's going on, and I want to I take this opportunity to respond to it and to write you a letter that comes out of it. And a lot of Paul's letters to different churches have harsh critiques. Uh, Colossians isn't like that. Colossians has a lot of praise. Paul starts out by saying, I'm so thankful for you, and you are doing a good thing. But there's a threat. There's a threat. And we don't really know what the threat is or was uh, in that day, in that place. But it was enough that said, Paul said, if this seed takes root and begins to grow, you could be in trouble. And so we want to we cut it out right where it starts. We want to dig down and we want to get rid of it. We want to poison that, uh, that poison and get rid of this in Jesus. Paul writes to them and he says, I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to remind you that Jesus is greater than anything else that's coming in the way. And so we're going to read the first 14 verses this morning in Colossians 1. And because we're reading such a big chunk, and because this has been part of the church tradition through the centuries, I want to stand as we read this this morning to say, God, we honor your word, we honor your voice, and we want to hear from you. These 14 verses, if you don't listen to me the rest of the day, these 14 verses are the most important thing that we could look at right now. So would you stand with me? Colossians begins, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, 
for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You can have a seat. Let's pray. Father, we open your word today and we want to hear from you. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. For Jesus, that you would come, that you would become one of us, that you would show us the heart of God. Help us to see you this morning and be in awe of you, that you would, that you would change our minds to who you are, that we could grow in that, that we'd follow you. Open us up in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to I back up now, and I want to go through the first eight verses and just kind of unpack that this morning. And we'll go, we'll go verse by verse, and we'll kind of uh, jump in and out of Scripture and talk about what's going on. So Paul, in verse 1, says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Paul identifies himself as the writer. He identifies himself as an apostle. Apostle just simply means uh, sent out. One who is sent out or is a messenger. So he says, like, Jesus sent me. Jesus is sending me. That's kind of the, the position he has given me. And even more than position, this is the mission that he has given me. I'm supposed to carry this message to people and to you. So Paul says, I'm, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul doesn't say... I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus because I've earned it. Because I have really run a good race and I built up all the credentials and now I uh, graduated and now I, I got a magna cum laude in apostleship. Okay? Paul says, God put this on me. And so right from the very first verse in Colossians, you see the gospel of grace coming in. This is what somebody said. He said, this is not something that he has earned or achieved. It's something which has been given to him by God. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So here, right at the outside of the letter, is the whole doctrine of grace. We are not what we have made ourselves, but what God has made us. Paul starts out saying, God made me this, and I want to run full speed with it. And I'm not alone. Paul starts out the letter saying, here I am, and Timothy's with me. Okay? We're working together. And he says in verse 2, to the saints and to the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So I love this because he addresses, he addresses them as saints. Saints in the Bible is not a super spiritual term. It's not meant for the elite people who have lived super, 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 super holy lives, have died, have performed miracles after death, and then get sainted by people. Saints in the Bible refers to the collective, uh, the collective church, people who have given their lives to Christ, who have been transformed and changed by him. So if you are in Christ this morning, your identity is that of a saint. That doesn't mean that you are sinless. Right? Who here is sinless? No. In standing before God, you are. In the walking it out in life, we have work to do. Right? But Paul addresses them as saints. 
and he says, in Christ at Colossae, which the little, the little bit of nuance here is really cool. He says, Colossae is your location, not your home. Jesus is your home. You, I want you to find yourself in Christ with a location in the here and now. And you might see like that's just a little tweak or semantics. I think that's a big deal. That we don't, we don't first find our identity in the here and now. We live in the here and now with our identity anchored in Christ, anchored somewhere else. And he, he greets them with what becomes a standard greeting for Paul, grace and peace. So grace is this word charis, from which we get the term charity. Uh, the, they have the same root. And this is undeserved favor. I got, Paul says, I want you to receive this undeserved gift, undeserved favor from God. I want, I want grace to be yours. And he says, I want peace to be yours. And the word that he uses is this like shalom, this inner peace that no matter what is going on in the world around, no matter how crazy the world gets, that you would have a peace and a harmony, a, a serendipity, a serenity that would say, I'm okay. I know who I am and I know who my God is and I'm, I'm okay. Paul says grace and peace. And then in verse 3 he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have had for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. How does Paul pray for them? Paul starts out and says, when we pray for you, every time we pray for you, we pray prayers of gratitude. Like, and Paul's in prison. It would be very easy to get challenging in prison. It would be very easy to be like, look, I'm in prison here. You guys should shape up. And what starts, what, what starts Paul's prayers, he says, is gratitude. And I think there's power in that for us, in that gratitude changes us. When we, when we find, when we see reasons for us to be thankful from God, it changes us. We get crusty otherwise. We get crusty and we get bitter and we get resentful and we get arrogant and we get proud and we get judgmental and gratitude from God. Seeing God and being grateful for how he has showed up cracks through that. It's an antidote for all of those things. So Paul starts and says, I thank God for you and for your faith. And then, uh, you know, the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 finishes with, and the greatest of these is love. He said, now these, now these three remain, what are they? Faith, hope, and love, right? Faith, hope, and love. Go back into Colossians 1, 3. And he says, when we pray for you, we have gratitude. Since we have heard of your faith, in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope you have laid up. This is not uh, coincidental. This is a powerful triad to Paul, that faith, hope, and love, that they would, they would be living in faith and moving in faith, not just an intellectual assertion, uh, but that faith moves them. It moves them because they have hope in an expected future of what, what is coming, what God is doing. Hope in the Bible is not just wishful thinking. It's this expectant confidence. 
God is doing something. It's not here yet, but it's coming. So hope drives them. Faith lives it out, and it finds itself coming out in love, that they're doing good to people, that they're taking care of people. Love is not an emotion. Paul, Paul commands love. You can't command emotions. Emotions are psycho. They do whatever they want, right? You cannot command them. You can get some control of your moods, but emotions are like, boom, and you get hit. Paul commands love, which says, this is not an emotional deal. This is something that you do. Love seeks the good of the other. Love looks at somebody else and says, how can I do good by them? How can I help them? How can I serve them? It's not always nice. It's not always marshmallows. Sometimes it's challenging. But it's how can I do good by them? Faith, faith is living out in the foundation that they have in the view of a future that is coming and it shapes itself. It comes out as love. Paul has gratitude for their faith, hope, and love. And he says, of this of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of truth, of God in truth. So Paul, Paul takes this time to talk about the gospel. He said, you heard this, you heard the gospel, and since the day that you heard the gospel, your lives have been different. You have been different. And... I, he says gospel, gospel is this word good news. There is a good message from God that God actually loves you. That God, God created you, not like a lot of the other gods that would create people so that they could just do what they wanted with them or created people out of a fight uh, that they had and it was a contest to see who could be more powerful. God creates out of love. God knits you together in this intimate kind of setting that says, I know you and I love you. And the good news is in your brokenness, I don't give up on you. In your brokenness, I keep coming. I will not stop chasing after you. Paul talks about the truth of the gospel. So background here. Paul lives in a very pluralistic society. And what that means is uh, the Roman Empire came in with all their, all their gods. They had a god of this and a god of that and a god of this and a god of that. And they said uh, when, they, when, their, when their empire increased, they would come in and they would say, you can serve your gods and we will too. And you can serve our gods. And it's all this your god and this god and this god and this god and this God, which was fine if you were willing to go there. But Christians from the start, and Jews before that in our heritage, said there is no place for God and. It's God, period. And Christians said there is no place for Jesus and. It's Jesus, period. And in a pluralistic society that Paul was living in, this wasn't necessarily a popular message. And what, what are you getting so uptight about? Why are you making a big deal of this? And how dare you, how dare you say, Jesus, period, 
that that is the answer and that he is the answer for everyone. We live in a pluralistic society today, right? And our world, our world is not very receptive to a Jesus period kind of foundation. But we have to be. We don't have any room for Jesus and other gods. Jesus is greater than other gods. He stands on top of them in dominance over them. None of them can stand up to him. And Paul says, you heard this word of truth about the good news and the grace of God, and it changed you. It changed you. He says, he says, I want you to give yourself fully to them. And the picture, though, though, because we live in a pluralistic society that would say, uh, you believe that and I'll believe this and we'll all be okay. Um, <clears throat> nobody does that on their wedding day. Like the traditional wedding vows, you look at each other and you say, I forsake all others, right? I forsake all others. So if you walk away from, if you walk away from the altar and you say, I really love you and her and her and her and her. There's something really ill there, right? There's something really sick and that marriage will not, will not be healthy. I really love you and him, and him, and him, and him. There is an exclusivity to marriage. That is just fine. That people understand, man, if you cheat, that is, that's messed up. Our relationship with God is a whole lot like a marriage. Over and over and over in the Bible, Jesus used, uses wedding and marriage language to talk about our, our relationship. That he is, he is, Jesus is the groom, and we collectively as his church are the bride. And we have, we have a marriage relationship. And he gets on people in the Old Testament to say, you've gone chasing after other husbands. You have, you have given yourself to others. And that's not okay. And so when God calls himself a jealous God, he's not talking about middle school manipulation. Like, I, I don't want you to even look at him. He's talking about marriage fidelity. I want you to stay true. And I will stay true. Always. No matter what. God stays true to us. He stays true to who he is. So Paul says, the gospel has changed you. He says the gospel is for everyone. That it's gone throughout the world. That it doesn't discriminate. The gospel... The gospel is offered no matter what country you live in, no matter what people group you're from, no matter what color your skin, no matter what culture you're in, no matter what class you're in, no matter how much money you have or your parents had. The gospel, the gospel, the one true God is offered to everyone, to everyone. And it does something. Paul says it's bearing fruit. In the whole world, it's changing lives. It's changing cultures. It's, it's bearing fruit. It's doing something.
And it's all about grace. That the gospel isn't about, if I'm responsible, God will offer me relationship. The gospel is, God offers me relationship. And then I find responsibility that comes out of that. It's not that Christians are void of responsibility. Like, we can just get saved and then wait for heaven. But we have to understand the relationship between relationship and responsibility. That God offers relationship and out of that comes responsibility and it's not the other way around. All other gods say, you work and I will accept you. And Jesus says, I already did it. I already did it. Now work your tail off in response. Not just to keep it, not, not because of that, but you get to share this, you get to live this, and you get, you get to be changed by it. So my question to you then is, have you received the gospel? Do you know who Jesus is? And have you received the gospel as a Jesus period? Not just say, I like Jesus, I think he's a cool dude. I think he's good, he's a good teacher, and I fully embrace Jesus and this stuff. The gospel has not taken root in your life until you have come to a Jesus period kind of thing. Until you are willing to get married and go all in, it doesn't take root. He is ready to give himself fully to you. And he wants that fully in return. Don't play around with it. Our culture isn't crazy about truth. And it's similar in Paul's day. You have your truth and I'll have mine. It's not popular to say there's one truth for everyone. And so if, if you haven't, if you're not at a place where you say, absolutely, yes, Jesus, period, I'm in. If you're at a place where you're searching or you're seeking out, I would say, don't give in easily. Unless you feel something pounding in your chest that you cannot make sit down, don't give your life to Jesus easily. Think about it. I, w I want you to be critical. I want you to look at who Jesus is, and I want you to look at the life he lived and the ministry that he did and what he offers, and I want you to think about it because nobody, well, Vegas happens, right? Where marriage is like, yeah, that'd be a great idea. Let's jump in. What did we do? I want you to think about Jesus in the way that you would think about getting married. And when you come to see Jesus as who he is and your questions get answered and the obstacles move out of the way, then give yourself fully and do not care what the world thinks. The world likely will call you a fool. Know that going in. And you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with that. Colossians declares, and we affirm, that there is one God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we find our life only in him. And, and this gospel, Paul says, didn't just drop out of the sky. Paul continues, says, this gospel which has taken root in you, which is going all over the world, this is the same gospel, verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras is this guy uh, with whom Paul and the church 
at Colossae share this uh, kind of mutual connection. Paul hasn't met the church, but he knows Epaphras. Epaphras came to him saying, I want to tell you about this church, about all the good that is happening there, and I want to talk to you about a threat. And so um, as, as Paul talks about, talks about Epaphras, he says this, um, he has this to say, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And he goes on to say, Epaphras, Epaphras taught you. Epaphras brought you the gospel. Epaphras laid this foundation. Who laid your foundation? Paul had this incredible experience where he was walking down a road and God laid him on his back. Most of the time, the gospel comes through people. So if you have come to a point in your life where you say, I, I am Jesus, period. I've, I've accepted the gospel and I'm look, uh, living it out. Who laid that foundation in you? Because it, it didn't just drop out of heaven. I'm thinking about that for me. For me, I have men and women in my life that I can look to and say, when Paul and Darla invited me into their house, into a backyard Bible study, he was the pastor of our church when I was like five and six and seven, and he led my dad to Christ. And that changed the trajectory of our family. That changed our family history. I'm grateful to Paul and his wife for the ministry that they had and the impact that they had in my life and in my family's life. And I think about Sherry, who um, has since died, had MS. But in middle school, I rode up a roller coaster with her. Seven loops. It was the shockwave at Great America. First time, and she was sitting right next to me. And I found belonging with her. In, in a group as she led our middle school youth group and I'm going on canoe trips and camping trips. And I started to see, I, I belong here. And she had an important piece in laying a foundation for me. And Eric, who is my youth pastor in high school, who taught me about inclusion and about we reach out to people no matter where they're coming from that I knew Eric loved me and I knew Eric wanted to get me out to reach out. And I loved that. And we had, a, we had a sense of group identity as he led us. And I think about my parents who found faith in Christ and then lived their faith in Christ and how they poured into me and modeled it and let me ask questions and let me ask questions safely and let me fail, and that wasn't the end of the world, but showed me what it was to follow Jesus. I have so many other people that I have thought of this week and actually took some time, uh, took some time, I have in the past, and I took some time again last night just to send messages to some people. To say, hey, we may have talked about this or we may never have talked about it, but I am so thankful for the foundation you laid in my life. Who laid your foundation? Paul meets this guy Epaphras and he says, he brought you the gospel. He taught you the truth of who God is and, and what he can do in your life and through your life. 
Who laid your foundation? A couple months back, I received this message on Facebook. There's so much wrong with Facebook these days. Um, But some good can be there too. He said, hey, Shannon, I'm not sure how much you remember me. Uh, But this guy's my older brother. I remember going to youth group once in a while and the impact you had on me, even in the short time we interacted together. My favorite first verse I ever memorized is Hebrews 12.1. It's motto through my life. And I love to reference it when I feel myself drifting away from the Lord. I remember it was a challenge for us to memorize it. And we got candy if we did. Back then I was very motivated by candy. Just a little update. This is a guy who came a dozen times. Like I was, in, I was in student ministry for 15 years. He came a dozen times, and he's writing this. There's something bigger going on here. He says, just a little update. I attend UW Eau Claire, Eau Claire and I'm a part of InterVarsity. I'm a small group leader, and I love to invest in the guys on my floor. I'm also a youth group leader for the church I attend. I thought maybe this would be an encouragement to you. Sometimes you don't know the fruits of your labor until years later, like in our case, six years. I see you're a lead pastor. Congrats. I'd love to hear more about that sometime. Hope all is well. Sorry for the monster of a message. That kind of message, like, breeds life. And so I want you to do that. If you have a foundation in Christ, I want you to take some time today, this week, to think about who is it from you? It didn't just drop out of heaven. Somebody, or maybe multiple people, laid that. Tell them and thank them. Thank God for those people. And if you have an opportunity to say it to them, do it. We can uh, wrap up here. Paul was a man who had a reason to brag. Paul said, I built up all of these attaboys, all of these accolades, all of these accomplishments. If anybody had a reason to brag, I'm there. And he says, yet when I look at my trophy shelf, I consider all of this rubbish compared to knowing Jesus, compared to finding my life in him and my identity in him and being able to be sent by him All of that is nothing. Jesus, Paul recognizes, Jesus is greater than everything. Have you received it? Are you living out your your faith? Are you living it out, fueled by hope, coming out of you in love, and thanking those who laid a foundation in you for what God has done in your life? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Would you continually open us up to loving you more? Would you continually be opening us up to being more faithful to you? Would you answer our questions and our doubts? Would you get us up and living. Help us to not look at our faith as something that is 
something we do once and then put on a shelf. It's something that we live every day. Thankful for those who have poured into us. Recognizing you and you alone as the one who is greater than anything else. As the one where we can find we can find our hope. We can find our identity. Would you take these weeks in this series to mold that, shape that in our lives? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.